This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. No solution to the transit strike. The decision of very few people ends up affecting companies like us, the small ones, the most. Businesses struggle as buses stay parked with a new twist that could come next week. Tragedy near Terrace. It's impossible to put into words the profound grief and sorrow that our guests and staff share right now. The victims in a heliskiing crash and the latest on the investigation. And charges laid in a shocking case of road rage that left a pedestrian injured. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. For a second straight day, striking transit supervisors have brought Metro Vancouver bus and sea bus service to a halt. The strike has forced 300,000 people who rely on the system every day to find another way to get to their destination, leading to a whole string of other traffic troubles. Our Grace Key joins us live tonight with more. Grace, the strike is supposed to end early tomorrow morning. Any word on further job action? Yeah, the union did not give any indication on possible escalation on job action and nothing scheduled in terms of talks either. Only the union saying they will be back at work tomorrow morning. We've got big delays for all your major routes like Highway 99. You're backed up solid from Highway 17. The transit strike brought another morning of heavy traffic. This isn't just taking a toll on drivers. After just two days of job action, some transit customers are losing their patience. How long did you have to walk today? One hour. For now, we are still figuring out what to do, how to travel. Businesses are also feeling the pressure. Nutjar on Annis' Island started its operations during the pandemic. With just eight employees, any disruption can have a huge impact on its business. On Monday, they had to halt production. The decision of very few people ends up affecting companies like us, the small ones, the most. Uh, one employee not showing up for us in production, that's 25% of the workforce. And those people that cannot show up to work, they're the most disadvantaged. The Surrey Board of Trade is hearing from its members about the challenges they're facing trying to get employees to work. This is an economic breakdown. Uh, so when you're taking a look at transportation system breakdown, it will harm the economy. And that's why we're asking the B.C. government to step in and to really label transit as an essential service. There are also all the transit operators, trades and support workers and CBUS operators who didn't work for two days. Unifor says 5,100 members aren't getting paid and they're demanding compensation from the company. Well, our members honour picket lines wherever they encounter them. But what we're talking about here is an orderly shutdown communicated by TransLink and the company that they were taking steps to shut down the company. They were closing down maintenance. They were making sure that members didn't even have buses to drive. So rather than deal with the chaos that normally happens during a strike, they wanted to have the best of both worlds. Stick it to the QP members who are fighting for a fair deal and then use the rest of the thousands of members of Coast Mountain Bus Company to go without pay and have workers fighting against workers. 
Okay, so if you take the bus, this is what the schedule looks like tomorrow. So the workers will be back at work at 3 a.m. Service should be back up at 3.30 a.m. Now, it's going to take some time to get things fully back up, but things, all service should be back up. They've kind of reassessed the situation. They should be back up by 5 a.m. tomorrow morning. All right, we'll see if that happens. Thanks, Grace. All right, and this could just be a temporary lull in the job action. Let's bring in Keith Baldry now for more on the next steps. Keith, where do we go from here? Yeah, so all labor disputes are governed by a rule book. It's called the BC Labor Code, and it outlines the powers of the Labor Minister and the Labor Relations Board. We're going to see some of those things unfold, I think, in the coming days. Here's some of the things people are talking about. First of all, this talk of uh, shutting down SkyTrain. Well, first of all, the union requires LRB permission to picket SkyTrain. They're a long way from getting that. I'm not sure they would ever get that permission. Special mediator is being considered by Labor Minister Harry Baines. An announcement could come as early as tomorrow. The special mediator has the power to make settlement recommendations in a very short period, and the minister could make those recommendations public, and that could put pressure on one or both sides in the dispute. Grace mentioned in her story about essential service levels. They're not been, even been discussed at the LRB. They're not defined. Got, in fact, I got some correspondence with a former transit supervisor who thinks it'd be very difficult to define what really is essential services when it comes to operating buses and SkyTrain. So again, those are some of the things to look for in the days ahead. Not sure exactly what's going to happen, but again, the labor code and the labor board and the labor minister determine in many respects how the next days are going to unfold. All right, we'll be covering it all. Keith, thanks very much. We are learning more tonight about a devastating helicopter crash in northern BC that left three people dead and another four injured. Italian media are reporting the majority of those on board were international travelers. And as Cassidy Mosconi reports, it was one of those passengers who called for help. In the mountains north of Terrace, a triple tragedy. Three helicopters were running a heli-skiing operation in the mountainous backcountry with numerous people on board each helicopter. Uh, communication was lost with one helicopter and a crash site was located in a snowfield. There were seven people on board this helicopter and sadly three people did not survive. Some 700 kilometres north of Vancouver, it was a passenger on board the crashed aircraft who made the frantic call to authorities on Monday afternoon. He was able to use one of the radios to call for help. It's part of our rescue procedures that they have that ability. Then started the complex search for survivors. The four injured extracted and identified by Italian media as international travellers. Two of the three deceased named by the outlets as Heine Juna Oberak and Andreas Widman, not confirmed by the operator Tuesday, who called the group experienced heli-skiers. Treacherous terrain and freezing rain called off Tuesday's recovery mission for the three casualties. It's still unknown what caused the crash. The engineer uh, maintains the helicopter daily. Um, after we ski all day, the helicopter's there doing maintenance on it and making sure that it's uh, airworthy and, and ready to go the next day. RCMP, the Transportation Safety Board and WorkSafe BC are investigating. Like all other activities that are adventure activities, it's just not possible for us to eliminate 100% of the risk. We do everything that we possibly can to, to do so. An extreme sport with extreme risks. Cassidy Mosconi, Global News. Officers in Victoria have arrested a man in a random stabbing following a series of other alleged offences he committed in the downtown area. 
Just before 8 a.m. today, officers responded to reports of a stabbing right outside the Victoria Police Department's headquarters near Caledonia Avenue and Quadra Street. The victim was passing by on a bicycle when he was approached by the suspect and allegedly slashed with a knife. Police have since learned the suspect entered a daycare facility one hour before the stabbing, where he reportedly stole a tablet and pulled the fire alarm before leaving. The suspect is still in custody pending a court hearing. A warning about this next story. The pictures may be disturbing for some. Charges have been laid in a shocking case of alleged road rage in Vancouver last year that was caught on video. Kristen Robinson tells us what the accused is saying. Oh, oh my God! Oh. The Vancouver driver captured on video rolling over a 48-year-old Surrey man last October, now charged. 53-year-old Kevin Peter Pritchard is accused of assault causing bodily harm, assault with a weapon, dangerous driving causing bodily harm, and failing to stop and offer assistance. It was a road rage investigation that resulted in um, a very serious incident, a vehicle running over a person. To see one of those conflicts escalate to this level of violence is extremely unusual. The VPD alleges the driver of the Nissan Xterra was trying to turn right from Butte Street to Robson when he was forced to slam on the brakes to avoid colliding with a pedestrian crossing at the corner. The pedestrian became angry and began banging on the passenger side window, say police, before walking to the front of the SUV as the driver lurched forward, knocking him to the ground. Oh, oh my God! Reached by phone, Pritchard declined to be interviewed but says he feared for his safety after the pedestrian slapped his car. He hit it with his hand on purpose, quote, I came to a complete stop to say something and to have a conversation, and then he started trying to reach inside my car. My window was halfway up. He started to reach in through the passenger window and reach at me, and he couldn't do that, so then he decided to try breaking the window by shaking it back and forth. That's when I was just like, I want to get the hell out of here. When I stepped on the gas, he ran in front of my car. While the video was compelling, while the video did tell part of the story, we also relied on witnesses, other forms of evidence, an inspection of that vehicle, bystanders, and other sources of video to piece together everything that happened and gain a full understanding of the incident. The pedestrian was treated for non-life-threatening injuries. Pritchard's next court appearance is in February. Kristen Robinson, Global News. New Westminster police have seized more than $200,000 in cash and drugs. Last Thursday, police say members of the gang suppression unit stopped a suspicious vehicle near 8th Avenue and 10th Street. Turns out the driver was prohibited from driving and was arrested along with the passenger. Officers searched the vehicle and found $111,000 in cash, along with vacuum-sealed bags of fentanyl, cocaine and crystal meth, Valued at around $100,000. Charges of trafficking a controlled substance are being recommended. It has been a rough few years for B.C. restaurants. The pandemic, an ongoing labor shortage, federal emergency loan repayments and skyrocketing costs, all combining to erode already thin profit margins. As Richard Zussman reports, the industry is launching a new campaign aimed at saving B.C. restaurants. At Big Wheel Burger in Victoria, the heat has been turned on. The restaurant sector hit by a stack of challenges. It's painful, and it's not like we can see a light at the end of the tunnel either. 
every hour for the industry turning into unhappy hour. The BC Food and Restaurant Association launching a campaign Tuesday, highlighting a long list of unappetizing issues. Labor shortages, supply chain disruptions, pandemic debt levels, cost of food, impacts from floods and wildfire, all eating away at the industry. We've got to find solutions that are practical. They don't cost a lot of money to the taxpayer. And, and we get on with it because uh, it, it's too important. This menu, now the blueprint to finding those solutions, making changes to the employer's health tax, freezing WorkSafe BC premiums, and improving current coordination issues by appointing a minister of hospitality. This is like having an orchestra without a conductor. On the menu, a provincial jobs now program to address kitchen staffing shortages and creating a dedicated stream for foreign trade and hospitality workers. Our process to get a foreign worker in British Columbia takes about eight to nine months. In Alberta, it takes four months. And we're saying, what's the reason behind this? As the industry awaits for that pickup, they are hoping support's coming for the more than 180,000 people who work in the sector. And restaurants contribute more than $18 billion to the province's economy. But if you're waiting for something to be delivered, it's going to take some time. It's that delicate balance between trying to actually find some assistance and some real support for our industry without sounding like a broken record complaining about it. So I think consumers are going to have to get ready to pay a little bit more if they want their favorite restaurants to survive. The industry says 50% of the food service businesses are unprofitable, while bankruptcies have gone up 48% in the last 10 months, a recipe for disaster. All levels of government must adjust for to ensure the sector doesn't go bad. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Vancouver City Council got a lot of recommendations from the Municipal Budget Task Force report, but it's promising to be very careful in how it implements those recommendations. The final report was presented at City Hall today, offering up ways to leverage city assets to increase revenues, options that might raise a few eyebrows. Alyssa Thibault reports. Unless Vancouver finds ways to save money and make money, an expensive city will become even more expensive, according to the Mayor's Budget Task Force. Affordability, both personally and for businesses, will catch up to us, and we will lose businesses which employ residents. The task force chair says their report doesn't suggest many areas to cut spending. Instead, more ways to raise revenue. That includes leveraging city assets, maybe a private partnership for the aquatic centre or selling naming rights for ice rinks, which the task force estimates to result in millions of dollars in revenue. Our ice rinks are a mess. They're in total disarray. Um, and, uh, and that would be an opportunity to partner with industry to get them to pay the, the maintenance and capital part and still get all the ice sheets you need. Pratt says the task force also believes some city land is underutilised. For example, the new zero carbon fire hall could have had more uses built above or beside it. It's probably a really nice place, but I don't think it was an effective use of tax dollars. The report goes on to recommend council refocus its role, with millions currently being spent on non-core services such as childcare, affordable housing, healthcare and homelessness, leading to one councillor raising concerns. Do you think that the city should just say, oh well, we're not going to do anything, we're not going to open a safe injection site? Pratt telling council the city needs to be more deliberate about its core mandate. This council can decide as a group that childcare is a mandate of the city of Vancouver. 
We want to provide child care to the six or 700,000 residents. Ideas presented by the task force right now are hypothetical. An oversight committee will look over all the recommendations and report back to council. Then some decisions will be made. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. A gruesome murder trial gets underway in Nanaimo. A young woman accused of killing and then dismembering her boyfriend. The evidence in the case and how she was eventually arrested. Next on the News Hour. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Nothing is getting done through this company. Abbotsford seniors suffer in the cold. Another apartment with no heat later on the news hour. Plus, I was terrified. I had my arms completely out. From tremendous loss to victory for the Hill Sisters, a BC family set to dominate the world of downhill skateboarding coming up later. But first, a warning about some disturbing details in our next story. A woman on trial for first-degree murder accused of killing her former boyfriend. And as Kylie Stanton reports, she's also accused of dismembering him and dumping his body parts around Nanaimo. Nearly four years after the death of Sidney Joseph Manti, his former girlfriend is standing trial in Vancouver. 28-year-old Paris LaRoche is accused of killing her boyfriend in March of 2020, then dismembering and disposing of his body in various locations throughout Nanaimo. LaRoche pleaded not guilty to charges of first-degree murder and interference with a body. On Tuesday, Justice Robin Baird heard from LaRoche's former employer and friend, Terry Lynn Boyle. She recalled a phone conversation with LaRoche following her arrest in March of 2022, saying, I came right out and asked her if she had done it, and she said yes. When Boyle asked why, LaRoche said he had threatened to kill her family and friends and threw the cat up against the wall. She just wanted him to go to sleep, Boyle said. She got on top of him with a hammer and hit him over the head. Boyle said LaRoche went on to describe what she did with Manti's body, saying, quote, she deared him, meaning LaRoche gutted, drained, and dismembered the body. Boyle told the court she kept him in a refrigerator and would take pieces out in her backpack and spread them around the island. A great day. Manti, who was 32 years old, was reported missing in October of 2020. Six months later, on April 18, 2021, another witness described the night LaRoche confessed to the murder, saying she just finished getting rid of the body, and I found that disturbing because he had been missing for a while. The witness reported LaRoche to Nanaimo RCMP the following morning, also telling police Manti had been abusing her. A three-day undercover investigation resulted in LaRoche's arrest. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Up next, artificial intelligence threatens the legal system. How fake AI-generated material ended up in the courtroom and why lawyers say it could have a chilling effect. 
And that bombshell ruling about the Ottawa truckers blockade and what the Liberal government did to end it. The federal court has ruled the Liberal government's decision to invoke the Emergencies Act during the trucker protest in Ottawa in 2022 violated Canada's charter. In the ruling, the judge says the move was unreasonable and outside the scope of the law. The case was brought forward by the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. Thousands descended on Ottawa in January 2022, protesting the government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic, including vaccination requirements. We believed we were doing something necessary and something legal at the time. That was our belief then. That was our belief as we testified at length to Chief Justice Rouleau. That continues to be my belief today. Freeland says the government will be appealing the decision. In the first case of its kind in Canada, a B.C. judge is hearing about a growing concern in the courts. Artificial intelligence inventing cases. Ramina Dea tells us why the lawyers who discovered the bogus cases say it's nothing less than an existential threat to the justice system. Lawyer Chongke left the courtroom with tears streaming down her face Tuesday. She declined to comment, so did her lawyer. Is this the first case of its kind in Canada? It is, and the impact of the case is chilling for the legal community. Lorne and Fraser McLean say they discovered fake case law submitted by Ms. Ke in a B.C. Supreme Court case currently before Justice Masuhara. Sources say it's a high net worth family matter, the best interests of children at stake. Ms. Ke allegedly used chat GPT to generate fake cases to support the father's application to take his children to China for a visit. Global News has learned Ms. Ke told the court she was not aware the artificial intelligence chatbot was unreliable and she did not check to see if the cases actually existed. She has apologized to the court. If we don't fact check uh, artificially generated intelligence uh, materials and they're inaccurate, it can lead to an existential threat to the legal system. The creation of bogus case law using AI sent shockwaves through the U.S. last year when a judge imposed a fine on New York lawyers who submitted a legal brief with fictitious cases generated by ChatGPT. They said it was a good faith mistake. Biggest warning for counsel uh, is to read the cases, do the research, do the work. In the end, it's up to you to read everything, to make sure it's accurate. If this has been done deliberately, the lawyer may be in contempt of court and may face sanctions as a result thereof, a reprimand, a fine, and or imprisonment. The Law Society of BC warned lawyers about artificial intelligence and gave guidance just three months ago. We have reached out to the society to find out if it's aware of Ms. Ke's case. At this point, it's unclear what disciplinary action she could face. Romina Dea, Global News. Coming up, moments of terror at Edmonton City Hall. What happened when a gunman stormed the building during a council meeting? Also ahead, testimony at the Winters Hotel inquest provides new details about why the sprinkler system was shut off before a deadly fire.
An execution in Iran is being felt thousands of kilometers away right here in Canada. Pleased to spare the young protesters' life had come from around the world, including from a B.C. Liberal MP. Negar Moshtahedi reports. A mother's plea to save her son from execution. Outside the Iranian prison, her screams are in vain. The 23-year-old, the latest execution linked to nationwide protests. It's hard to comprehend how a nation would execute their own citizens, particularly their youth. Cloverdale Langley City Member of Parliament John Aldag has been a political sponsor of Mohamed Obadlu for more than a year. Around the world, people are reacting to the latest killings by the Iranian regime. Senators in France condemning Obadlu's hanging. In Vienna, protesters gathering outside the Islamic Republic embassy. In Toronto, people gathered demanding an end to executions in Iran. Family and mourners gather to bury the young man who was suspected to have bipolar disorder. So cruel. Crime against humanity. Port Moody man Farhad Sufi understands losing a loved one to the Iranian regime. In the 1980s, his brother, who stood against the Islamic Republic regime, like Khobadlu, was executed. It wasn't any armed struggle or anything like that. He was just protest. The simple protest. This Middle Eastern expert says the regime is engaging in a retaliation campaign against those who protested the killing of Masa Amini. Uh, Mohammed was one of those people who took part in these protests, wanted, you know, a better Iran, a freer Iran, and he paid the ultimate price for that. While there's so much attention on what the Islamic Republic of Iran has been doing and how it's been sowing chaos across the Middle East, specifically, you know, within Israel and its neighbors. It's a very stark reminder that Iran's own people as well are suffering. Obadlu's father left shattered, walking a lonely road, wondering what else there is possibly to lose. Negar Moshehedi, Global News. In Edmonton, police say there is no longer a threat to public safety after shots rang out at City Hall today. Police Chief Dale McAfee says... The man entered through the parkade. Global News has burned, has blurred rather, the suspect's face as charges have not yet been laid. Once inside, he opened fire with a long gun capable of firing multiple rounds quickly. He was also armed with Molotov cocktails. Police responded within minutes and the suspect was taken down by an unarmed commissionaire. Chief McPhee says his actions went above and beyond. We are incredibly lucky today that there are no reported injuries and no lives have been lost. But that being said, I don't want to minimize the impacts this has for those who are present at City Hall today, including a class of grade one students. Active shooter events like this have lasting effects on our community and in the days that come, we'll be working closely with our partners to navigate that. The first graders were kept inside City Hall chambers with a staff member until the lockdown was lifted. Police say it's too soon to speculate on the shooter's motive. A Vancouver fire captain has told a coroner's inquest he had a bad feeling about the Winters Hotel when he was called to a fire there nearly two years ago. As Angela Jung reports, it was only three days later when another fire erupted, this one deadly. 
When a devastating fire ripped through the Winters Hotel, the sprinkler system was shut off and the fire alarms were not ringing. Now we're gaining some insight into what happened. Flames engulfed the Winters Hotel on April 11, 2022. Just three days prior, crews were called there to a minor blaze. Captain Chris Zappa testified he had a gut instinct about the SRO. He said, I don't like this building. I had a bad feeling about that building. I didn't like the fact the alarm wasn't going off. I didn't like the hoarding. The building was in disrepair and I didn't like it. Zappa said the fire was extinguished before firefighters arrived, but the sprinklers were still on. He testified they were turned off to prevent flooding. He said firefighters also noticed the smoke detectors were not working in at least two units, observing other safety risks. A fire violation notice was issued with orders, including the fire alarm system must be reset, the sprinkler system serviced, and 24-hour fire watch must be provided until repairs are made. With no sprinklers and working smoke alarms, the fire on April 11th raged on. 63-year-old Marianne Garlow and 53-year-old Dennis Gay's bodies were discovered 11 days later during demolition. Forensic experts also testified. A forensic toxicologist found high concentrations of carbon monoxide, which likely contributed to their deaths. He added small amounts of drugs were found, but not enough to cause impairment. A forensic pathologist conducted autopsies for both Garlow and Gay and concluded the cause of death was thermal injuries and smoke inhalation due to or as a consequence of a residential fire. Family members sat in the front row. Some couldn't bear to listen to the testimony and stepped out of the room when the forensic pathologist took the stand. Witness testimonies are expected to wrap up on February 1st. Angela Jung, Global News. And just ahead on the news hour, a bad time to be without heat. Freezing, freezing. We have two space heaters. The reason these residents have been suffering in the cold since December. Also tonight, sisters who skate, how the trio is overcoming tremendous sadness to achieve success. For the second time in a week, we're learning of an apartment building without heat. This time it's in Abbotsford where residents say they've been without heat since before the holidays. Janet Brown has their story. We don't have heat, nothing. There's a lot of old folks in this building. Dennis Urich, along with all the other residents of this 60-unit building on Old Yale Road in Abbotsford, haven't had any heat since December 20th. Freezing. Freezing. We have two space heaters. It was uncomfortable, and I was getting worried. There is a note on the inside of the front door explaining what's happened. It says, uh, the building's heat is not working, the boiler is down, we're aware of the situation. Working on getting new boilers to replace the previous ones to restore the heat as soon as possible, but obviously no date as to when this is going to be rectified. Outside, we ran into the person responsible for the building's maintenance, who thinks the new boiler should be up and running by the end of the week. Well, the problem is, is our existing boiler is done. It's toast. It's, it's run its 50-year lifespan. We reached out by phone to Kojir Real Estate, the property management company, Please dial zero to leave a message. which later provided a statement. 
every effort is being made to resolve this situation as quickly as possible. The boiler broke down and we immediately provided heaters to each unit. Unfortunately, it took some time to source a new boiler. A contract for a new one has been awarded. MLA Bruce Banman showed up to speak with residents after learning about the situation through a phone call from Global News. It is inexcusable to have seniors suffer and be cold in sub-zero temperatures um, and we need to ensure that they are kept warm and they're kept safe. The housing minister says this is extremely concerning. The residential tenancy branch is aware of the situation and can take all necessary steps to ensure the tenants' rights are being protected. We made it through thanks to a lot of blankets and, you know, housecoats and wrapping ourselves up. Abbotsford police say they'll be checking on the well-being of the residents. Janet Brown, Global News. Probably not going to be enough for them, but at least it is warming up a little bit in the forecast. We'll bring in Christy now mm -hmm. for a look at that. Hi, Christy. Hi, skiers and snowboarders should be aware for the weekend. Yeah, we have got a warm up on the way. I don't know about you, but this is how I felt today. It was gray, it was gloomy, and unfortunately, we've got this series of systems that are going to make its way across the south coast over the next seven days. So we don't have much of a break, but there is one, and I'm going to show you that. First, let's start off with the chance of rainfall. So it drops down overnight. It does climb, though, early tomorrow morning, and the chance of rain for Metro Vancouver is going to stay high for the next two days, through Wednesday and Thursday. It doesn't mean consistent rain, but we certainly We'll see that uh, rainfall on and off moderate to heavy at times. We're talking about 20 to 30 millimeters just for Wednesday. And this map shows you how much rainfall we could see through to the end of the day on Tuesday. So seven days worth. And it is substantial for the south coast. We're talking about 100 to 200 millimeters of rain. So it's one thing after another over the next several days and into early next week. Monday, Tuesday, there's a chance we could see an atmospheric river. We'll keep an eye on that. But more details to come. In the meantime, this is tomorrow. And it means rainfall for the interior regions as well. Lower elevations, we're talking about rainfall, still snow for the mountain passes. Here's a look, though. That air quality health index has dropped again. The air quality health advisory, sorry, the air, air quality advisory has now ended for Metro Vancouver. There's a look at your region. We're expecting periods of rain. Temperatures still above seasonal for this time of year, and we'll see that across the south coast. Highs of 7 to 9 degrees for many areas, and we'll continue to see rain not only on Wednesday, but into Thursday also. Friday, that's the bright spot that I was mentioning. We are expecting some breaks of blue sky through the afternoon hours, but there's the surge in warmth that Chris was referring to. Over the weekend, we could see double-digit weather, and that means freezing levels will climb also. More on that, though, as we get closer. In the meantime, tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Blind Bay. Caitlin sharing this amazing shot of a uh, sun halo. It's a bit of a sun dog in there as well, and one lone person enjoying that view. <laughs> And now we're all enjoying the view. Just that's right. Feel no, that's, sharing it. Just want to feel that sun on my face eventually. I'm with you. It felt like Blade Runner. Jane said it the other day. It's like we're living in a. Yeah. It's like we're living in a movie. Mm. It never Stop. ends. And we're starring in it, I guess. <laughs> well, right <laughs> now we are. Certainly right now we are. <laughs> all right. Well, Squire Barnes is here now with a look ahead to sports. What have you got, Squire? Interesting choice, Blade Runner. Okay. <laughs> Quinn Hughes scored his 12th goal of the season last night, and the coach says he actually spent this summer working on improving his shot. And uh, he's had about, I think, about five of those goals in that same spot on that top shelf. Yeah, like he did right here last night. When a guy can skate, pass, and shoot like this, it's no wonder Quinn Hughes is the main contender for the Norris Trophy. 
Thank you, Squire. Also tonight. Safety is definitely a top priority. The Speedy Hill Sisters overcoming adversity to conquer the world on wheels. All right, Squire, take it away. All right, so Quinn Hughes has become, as we all know, one of the best defensemen in the NHL for a number of reasons. He skates like Elvis Stoiko. He thinks the game better than most. His passing is a hockey equivalent to how Steve Nash passed the basketball in the NBA. It's basically on another level. And his work ethic is also a big reason for his success. After the, I think it was 2020-21 season, he was upset he was a minus 24. So he worked on being better defensively. And right now he leads the entire NHL in plus minus at plus 35. And he has improved his shot. It's no longer just a shot he tries to get on net so it can be tipped in by a forward. He now shoots the score himself, like he did last night, his 12th goal of the year. And that's because, once again, he spent a lot of the summer improving that shot. That worked this summer, though. He, was, he worked... Uh... I mean, he was skating with his brothers in July. I remember talking to him, and he, he told me he was working on the, the, the kind of the push and then pull it. And uh, he's had about, I think, about five of those goals in that same spot on that top shelf, short side. It's probably the hardest shot in hockey to hit, you know, um, to hit that short side. He's hit five of them. You know, some guys take three years to hit that, and he's had five this year. So, yeah, that's, but that's a credit for him working, how hard he worked in the summer on his shot. His shot's... I bet you it's about 10 or 15 miles more harder than it was last year. So that's a credit to him. And, of course, Thatcher Demko got the shutout last night, fifth of the year. But even when he was beaten, he wasn't beaten. The puck didn't dare cross the line behind Demko, giving the uh, Vancouver Canucks the kind of win that Rick Tockett really loves. I love shutouts. I'd rather win 2 nothing than... 8-4 any day of the week. I love to, uh, you know, because it, it gets you in the game. It means that you're, you know, you're tracking. You're doing the right things. Uh, most times when you get a shutout, you know, it, I love shutouts. It's especially for how hard uh, Denver works. You know, you, especially last five, you want to get that shutout for them. So this year, the Vancouver Whitecaps do have a lot to celebrate. They are 50 years old. And, of course, they are supposed to get a visit from Lionel Messi on Saturday, May 25th which is the game the Whitecaps are going to take off the tarp and use the top deck at BC Place. Actually, they're going to do that for four different games, but it's a messy game that is the biggest of them all. That's kind of like soccer's version of a royal visit. Please welcome the world's number 10, and now your number 10, Little Messi's MLS arrival last season took the league and its franchises to new heights. Messi and his soccer magic casting a sellout spell, not just in Miami, but every stadium he played in. One that'll continue this year when Inter-Miami and Messi come to town for the first time ever come May. I think it's going to be fantastic. You know, we're going to have uh, arguably one of the best players in the history of the game coming to Vancouver and play. And uh, um, it's going to be hopefully one of these uh, I would say, uh, step uh, that are making, uh, I would say, the city uh, buzzing around soccer even more than 
is doing now. The Whitecaps playoff match against LAFC generated the club's largest crowd of the season, just over 30,000 selling out the lower bowl, forcing the opening of upper bowl seating at BC Place. So for this year, the Caps have wisely chosen to bundle up the messy match as part of its four-game Golden Era season ticket pack, which is celebrating the franchise's 50th anniversary, and you can guess how well those tickets are selling. The demand has been tremendous to allow us to say, okay, we're ready now to open up the Upper Bowl for all four games, which historically we've never opened up the Upper Bowl other than one match, which was our playoff game against LAFC last season. So um, to open up the Upper Bowl for four games is going to be uh, really exciting for the market. With the surge in ticket sales two months before the start of the regular season, it sure looks like the Caps could be playing in front of a packed house more often than not. And as Vanny likes to say, Andiamo, let's go. It means that uh, uh, the schedule of soccer and schedule of Vancouver is aligning and it's certainly a great thing. Cleveland Cavaliers center Tristan Thompson has been suspended for 25 games because he tested positive for what basically was a human growth hormone, hormone make that, commonly used for muscle enhancement, something I can never be accused of. The uh, suspension starts immediately he can practice with the Cavaliers, but he can't be in the arena for any of the games. He'll return on March 16th. Of course, he is a Canadian from Brampton, Ontario, and he's been in the NBA since 2011. And there are three new members to Baseball's Hall of Fame. Adrian Beltre is in, Joe Maurer is in on their first year of eligibility, and Todd Hilton finally got in after six years on the ballot. There you go. All right, thanks, Squire. Good to hear it. All right, the amazing story of the Hill Sisters and their need for speed coming up next. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, an update tonight on the Langara College professor who praised the October 7th attack by Hamas. You'll hear what she said at a rally earlier today. Plus, while Vancouver is experimenting with 10 tiny shelters, the city of Kelowna has just received 60 of them. BC Housing hopes the tiny homes development will be a gateway to more permanent housing. Move-in day is less than a month away. At 11, who will be eligible to live there? And what's being promised to the neighbours to keep the site orderly and safe? Sophie? All right, thanks, Jordan. So the Hill Sisters are quickly making a name for themselves in the world of downhill skateboarding and luge, but it's been an uphill battle. Yeah, they suffered great personal loss with the death of both of their parents. But as Jay Durant shows us tonight, it hasn't slowed them down in the sport they love. Katarina Hill remembers vividly the first time she ever tried downhill skateboarding. I was terrified. I had my arms completely out just trying to catch the air. Luckily, I did not crash. Not only has she become one of the best in Canada, her younger sisters are not far behind in street luge. Do I have a test coming up sometime this week? At just 22 years of age, Katarina is now Rose and Tasia's legal guardian. Six years ago, they lost their father, Ralph, to a stroke. Their mom, Elena, died last summer of cancer. An emotional roller coaster in the beginning. My friends, when they found out just that my mom was sick, uh, they cooked meals, helped clean everything. It was really kind of them. Um, sorry. Uh. All three are adjusting to a very busy life now. Katarina's working full time while looking after her sisters with her partner's help. One of the big things is getting them up in the morning for school. 
while still finding time to train for a sport that naturally made mom a bit nervous. She was very worried, but she was very supportive as well. She'd always tell me like, make sure you're wearing your helmet and your protective gear. The Hills have set up a GoFundMe to try to get to the World Championships next month in the Philippines so the two older girls can compete. It would be nice to do it with my sister. That's what I really wanted to do. I did not know I was going to make it. It would be Katarina's second trip to an event featuring the very best in the world. My mom was so proud when I had qualified the last time. She was telling everybody. I would hope she'd be really happy right now. Just being able to represent Canada means quite a lot to me. And I just feel very blessed to be able to have this opportunity. Jay Durant, Global News. Oh, we wish them good luck and hope they make it there. And if you know a great story like that, something unique to BC that you want everyone to know about, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. And I am still stressed out from... <laughs> It is. I know. It's it anxiety-inducing watching that stuff, yeah, no it's doubt. A da it is a dangerous sport because, yeah. as we can it's see, totally. that pavement is not forgiving. Mm -hmm. No, and, no. and hay bales At that only speed. go so far, right? Yeah. yeah. But mm -hmm. obviously, they love it. Yeah, Christy, you got two boys growing up on the North Shore. That might be your future. <laughs> that is possible that I wouldn't rule it out for sure, but I've got enough things that I'm worried about when it comes to them. I don't need one more right now. That's right. All right. So let's have a quick look at your five day. It is looking like a wet one. The bright spot is Friday. Hoping for that in the afternoon hours on Friday, but otherwise keep that rain jacket handy. Lots of rainfall on the way. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. And thanks everyone for watching. Good night. Good night all.